0: Hey everyone, happy Easter. I'm Roger, I'm the Executive Pastor here at Centennial Road Church, and I am so glad that you are connecting with us through Sea Road Online. We're going to join together in some worship songs, and Pastor Justin is gonna share an awesome Easter message about resurrection power, and then Pastor Desiree and I, we're gonna be back to share some church news. So welcome to Sea Road Online, say hello in the comments below, And tell us where you're watching from today. Enjoy the service. Hey, Sea road fam. I'm
1: so excited to be meeting with you today on Easter Sunday. And before I begin, can we just thank the worship team for leading us? Like, actually comment below and let them know how grateful you are for their time and for their leadership. Let's just give it up for them. I'm so excited to be sharing with you today. I'm Pastor Justin. And if you're new to church, this is really like our day. This is our day that our faith rides on where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm so excited to kick off our brand new series this week called Miracles, where over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of Jesus' most historic and powerful miracles ever recorded. We're in week one of the series this week, and the title of my message is Miracles in the Distance. Now, when I first met my wife, Hannah, I fell in love with a lot about her. But one of the things I fell in love with the most was her love of pranks, Not just like pranking, but actually being pranked. One of the first pranks she ever pulled on me was she invited me to a worship service at her school. And I was, that wasn't the prank. I I was hesitant to go because I was busy, but I wanted to impress this girl I was slowly starting to fall for. So I said yes. So we get into the service and the music starts and a few songs in and they start praying. So I close my eyes and when I open them at the end of the prayer, Hannah is nowhere to be seen. I'm thinking maybe she's praying with someone. Maybe she had to step out to use the washrooms. I don't know. The service ends with prayer. Haven't seen her this whole time. And I open my eyes after about an hour and she's there just like she appeared out of nowhere, which was weird. But again, I thought, you know, she must have had good reason for it. So we go out, we have a good night talking, holding hands, walking around campus. And I come back to my dorm room and something is off. Like my ceiling tiles look like they've all been rearranged. Then I noticed my dresser looks like someone tried to get into it. So I started exploring and I realized all of my dresser drawers are filled with shredded paper. And all the clothes are in my ceiling. And I'm not just talking like a few pieces of shredded paper. I'm talking four or five garbage bags worth. So it all clicks for me. It's clearly Hannah. So I get my buddy and I'm like, it's go time. We take all of the shredded paper down to her dorm room and we dump it everywhere. I mean, on beds, on the desk, in the drawers, and their clothes, on their books, in their books. It was completely covered. So cue the next day. I'm walking to the cafeteria to visit her and her roommate and real proud of myself, right, for my super creative prank back at her. And as I approach, her roommate starts crying. See, I didn't put two and two together, but it was just the day before she was about to leave for Christmas break. So they're packing their stuff to leave and go home, organizing the room The roommate had a six-hour drive ahead of her, and we had just dumped gallons of shredded paper all over their room and all over those plans. The mess they had to clean up was overwhelming. There was no telling how long it was going to take. And they had hours to do it before they left. I mean, it seemed like a a hopeless situation. By the way, this was so bad that Hannah and I would find pieces of shredded paper years later in her clothes and her books and boxes. I mean, it was such a mess. And I share that with you today because I think a lot of us can resonate with Hannah's roommate. Like you had plans for the next few weeks in your business and trips you were going to take with your family and debt you were going to pay off and projects you were going to do and extra hours you were going to work. And it feels like someone just came in and dumped gallons of shredded paper all over your plans. And your life feels like a mess. This COVID-19 situation feels overwhelming and there's no telling how long it's going to take to clean this up. And maybe in the midst of this social distancing, you're asking questions like, how am I going to pay rent this month? How am I possibly going to finish school? Like, will I be healthy? Will my family be healthy? Will I be able to interact with my grandkids again? I mean, my grandma has yet to meet her great granddaughter. It's the first girl born in 40 years on my side of the family. And I think many of us in the face of this uncertain and unfamiliar season are asking, when and will this get better? Like, is there hope for my family, for the city, for this province, for the world? We're in unprecedented times. I mean, never before in my lifetime have I experienced social distancing where we're six feet away from someone in the grocery store, where we're in our homes 99% of the week. We feel lonely and isolated and desperate. And, and I think if we were honest, many of us feel hopeless, This may surprise you, but we're not the first people to experience social distancing. In fact, we're going to be taking a look back at the first century where if you were sick or ill, social distancing was the norm. So we're going to look at two women in the story who were in the middle of social distancing and isolation. You can turn with your Bibles to the book of Mark in chapter five. Mark is one of the four historical eyewitness accounts to the life of Jesus. And we're going to pick up in verse 21. It says this, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. Now I want to pause there. It says Jairus was the leader of a synagogue, which would be like a a modern-day church. And in a faith-centric society, this was no doubt, uh, this no doubt made him a pillar of his community. Someone who was is well-respected, did work that was honorable, essential, and life-giving to his community. And his daughter had fallen ill. We'll find out later in this passage that his daughter is 12 years old, which for us, maybe you picture a grade six student, like still immature, coming into teenage years, making TikTok videos all day and night on their quarantine. But back then, 12 was really the coming of age into adulthood. I mean, she's on the cusp of marriage. Their average life expectancy was only 35 years, so she's a third of the way through her life. And this is supposed to be one of the greatest times of her life, where she's falling in love, moving out, starting a family. But then illness hit, and plans changed. And as a result in this culture, when you were ill, you were socially isolated for seven days. you get checked out after seven days, and... You weren't better, seven more days. So there's no telling how many weeks her and her family had been through this, but now she's on death's doorstep and Jairus is desperate to see his daughter live. It says, so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Here's another woman further along in life who had disease for 12 years. This meant 12 years of social distancing. Living outside of town, away from other people. When she came into town, it wasn't a six foot separation. It was actually a 50 foot separation. On top of that, when she'd enter a social space, she'd have to announce it by shouting, unclean, unclean, 12 years of living like this. Not to mention she's a woman in a day and age when you can't own property, you can't work a job. I mean, she's, she spent all she has on doctors and it's just gotten worse. And this woman is desperate to live. And so she breaks every rule in the book And enters the crowd. I imagine she covered her head in case anyone recognized her. She pushed through all the people. And she did the unthinkable. She reached out and touched the rabbi. And it says, immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him. Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling, probably fearing the worse, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I imagine if I were in Jairus' shoes, this would have been amazing to witness, but he would have been a little impatient, like, okay, Jesus, take care of this. We've got to get home to my daughter who's on death's doorstep. And as this is happening, a group of really insensitive people come up and they say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And at this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Two women in the middle of social distancing in the face of overwhelming circumstances were healed. And I love how it's not their social status that saves them. You know, it's not their jobs, their money, the people they know, the influence they have. You know, you've got this one woman who's really at the peak of society and has all the promise because of her age and the family she comes from. And then you have a woman, presumably husbandless, with no money, with very little life left to live. Not to mention they're women in a culture that values them as little more than commodities. They, they have very little rights compared to the men in their culture. And they've tried everything. I mean, doctors, money, and, and now they're desperate. And I wonder how many of us can resonate with that feeling of desperation today. Like your life was going great, it was fast paced work, take the kids or grandkids to their games, go to the extra meetings, take care of your grandparents, volunteer at church, work that side hustle, build that savings account. And then all of a sudden, COVID 19 hit. And some went to sleep one day with a job and woke up the next day jobless. Some haven't seen your family in weeks. Some are living in constant fear that their jobs are exposing them to this virus, which in turn they could pass on to their families. And we're desperate because it feels like there's nothing we can do at this point. Like we're just standing here with empty hands. My son Henry, as I was working on my sermon this week and running it through my head, uh, he just turned two and he's been really into bath time lately, like more so than usual. And he has all these bath toys. I brought some with me because I knew he'd be watching this. Um, These are some of his favorites. So he's got his monkey. um, He's got his turtle, which he calls turtle. And he's got his dory from Finding Nemo, which he loves. And uh, he probably has like 20 or 30 of these little 25 cent bath toys. He loves them so much that before bath time, he'll get them all out in the living room and like arrange them on the furniture and talk to them. And then I announce to him that it's bath time and he gets super excited and he just wants to carry all 20 or 30 of them to the bath. So he's a little guy. He starts like picking them up and, you know, he's dropping them, but he's like me with groceries. Like it's one trip. I'll do whatever it takes to make it in one trip. And, and he's just dropping them and getting more and more frustrated. It, it becomes this routine every night. And I'm always like, buddy, if you just empty your hands and give me these toys, I can help you carry this load to the bathtub and we can get there quicker. I can't speak in full sentences, but I imagine if he did, he'd be like, no, daddy, I I got this. I can do this on my own. I can carry this load. And eventually, I I get so tired of it that I'm like, okay, buddy, I got this. I grab the toys, take them in the bath. He's upset, and I get him in the bath, and he's in heaven for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes with all his bath toys. St. Augustine once said, God is always trying to give us good things, but our hands are too full to receive them. I think for the first time for many of us in our lives, we've been so used to carrying this load of life all on our own like my son and his bath toys. You know, work, drive the kids places, attend sporting events, meetings, work that side hustle, build that business. Our hands have historically been full. And we woke up one day and all that has changed. Our lives feel messy and out of order and we stand with empty hands, desperate. When I read the story of Jairus' daughter and the woman who bled for 12 years, you know what I don't see is two people trying to carry the load on their own. Like, no, God, I I got this. I can do this. I can carry this load. I see two people who are desperate, who have tried everything, who are in the middle of hopeless situations. And that desperation, it drives them to dependency on Jesus. They have nothing left to give, nothing left to do except trust this miracle worker. And that dependency, that makes way for miracles, for healing, for new life. I think so many of us have placed our security and significance in what we do. You know, our jobs, our trips, our bank statements, social media accounts, what our kids or grandkids do, you know, their achievements and successes. And it's not until all that is stripped away that we see those things can only provide so much security and significance. It only takes a pandemic to take all of that away. And when we actually get to the point where we recognize how much we need Christ, how nothing we can do can save us, that is faith and that creates dependency in Jesus and promotes us to action. And that action, coming to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, makes way for a miracle which I think means this for us today. In the middle of isolation, in the middle of loneliness and desperation and social distancing, just like the women in this story, there is a miracle waiting to happen. There are miracles waiting to happen in this distance. I mean, think about it. For the first time, maybe in our lives, we're not running all over town. We, our spouses are at home. We're at home working. We have more time than we've had before. And I know it seems overwhelming and uncertain and unfamiliar, but maybe this is the place where God wants to work a miracle in your life. Where God wants to give you good things. It's just too often our hands are too full. And, and for once, our hands are empty. There are miracles waiting to happen. In this distance, maybe he wants to restore your marriage, build a strong relationship with your kids. Maybe he wants you to witness to your neighbors and the people that live next to you. Maybe he wants to repair your relationship with them and grow dependency on him. There are miracles in this distance. Even when we don't see him working, even when we can't feel him working, he never stops working. And we can experience those miracles and be those miracles to other people when we recognize how deeply we need Jesus. See, where the world sees death, Jesus sees life. Where the world says that your marriage is broken and over with, Jesus sees restoration. Where the world sees chaos, Jesus sees peace. And where the world says there's no hope, Jesus says there's hope for the hopeless. And while the world looked at a woman who suffered with disease for 12 years as a lost cause, Jesus saw her as a lost soul waiting to be found. The world looked at a dead 12-year-old girl, all of her hopes and dreams lost to illness and death, and saw a new life, resurrection. There are miracles waiting to happen in this distance. So what do we do? Two things. Number one, we position ourselves to receive miracles. So what does that look like? It looks like prayer and fasting taking this extra time we have, this shift in our schedules, and we connect with God. I saw a quote this week that said, prayer is an outward expression of our dependence on God. As we pray and take time from a meal to fast and meet with God, we build our dependence on God. Prayer offers clarity for where God is working on us, how he's refining us, how he's wanting to make us more like him. And in doing so, we position ourselves to receive miracles. The second thing we do is we position ourselves to be miracles. You know, as a church family, we've been supporting the Brockville Food Bank. This is one of the tangible and and physical ways that we can meet the needs of our community. But I would challenge you to pray this week, to ask God, God, where are you calling me to be a light in this dark time? Is it my family, my neighbors, my kids, my grandkids, my spouse, Maybe maybe it's here on social media. Maybe God is calling you to share this message of hope with a friend who desperately needs it. We position ourselves to receive miracles and we position ourselves to be miracles. Because the good news of Easter is this, that before we ever succeeded, Before we ever achieved and and life went well for us and we were respected socially and we had all these accomplishments to boast of and and before COVID-19 hit and and some of us struggled with jobs and and finances and hopelessness, Christ died for you and I. And this gives me hope because it means that whether I'm at the peak of society and I succeed or if everything falls apart in my life, if I stumble, if, if my business falls apart, None of that is a measure of how much God loves me. One of my favorite bands, 10th Avenue North, says it like this, that at the heights of our purity, when we succeeded and achieved and feel like we've lived a perfect life, Christ went even higher, living a completely sinless life. And in those moments of desperation, of of hopelessness, where we feel like we can't possibly fall further, Christ went lower, suffering the most painful death and betrayal imaginable, and taking on the sins of the entire world. God's love is over and underneath every situation, every circumstance, every outcome, and every choice we could possibly make. As St. Patrick said, He's before me, beside me, behind me, within me, beneath me, and above me. Imagine what would happen if as a church body, We truly live this out. Like if we lived desperately dependent on the love of our Father. Imagine the miracles that he would start to do in our lives. The marriages that would be restored. The relationships with him that would be restored. Imagine how that would spill out into our community and into Brockville. As we become the miracles our neighbors are seeking so desperately. This, my friends, this can be the stirrings of revival in our community, as a a new wave of faith comes through that captures the hearts of young and old in this city. And we can do that simply by depending on Jesus, praying and asking God what miracles he wants to work in our lives. May, May we be a people this Easter Sunday who are desperately dependent on the love of our Father, a love that's over and underneath anything and everything we're facing today and in the weeks to come. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you're doing in us and through us, even here in this social distancing. I pray, Father, that you would transform our lives, that there would be miracles happening in this distance, marriages being restored, people turning their lives over to you, meeting the needs of our neighbors and our community surrounding us. And I pray, God, that this Easter, that this would be the stirrings of revival in our city, where young and old would be captured by faith in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey Sea Road, I'm super excited to share with you this year's egg hunt experience. Despite these changing times, we are bringing you some Sea Road style ridiculous fun. We've partnered with Upper Canada Youth for Christ to bring you a virtual egg hunt. That's right, a Minecraft Easter egg hunt designed for kids grades two to eight. If you haven't yet registered, register today at centennialroad.com. We have spots still available in our Easter Monday egg hunt. For those of you that are curious and want to join in this virtual celebration, we'll be Facebook Live from the Centennial Road Kids page at 3 p.m. today. Hope to see you all there. Happy Easter.
0: Hey again, thanks so much for joining us today. We love helping you connect in meaningful ways at Sea road So you can help by using the Contact Us button on our website, centennialroad.com. And you can ask for prayer there in the message box. And we will pray for you this week. It is our privilege to pray for you. You know, Sea road has adopted the Brockville Food Bank for the next several weeks. And their biggest need is volunteers. Now that means there are ways to serve where you're not interacting with the public, but you're rather creating care packs for our community. So contact Gina at the number on the screen, 613 342 6 also, donations can be dropped off at the back door there uh, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Tuesday through Friday. Now, I want to say a huge thank you for those who found new ways to give. We appreciate you. Thanks so much. You can support the ministries of Sea road by using the Give button on our website, centennialroad.com, or you can e-transfer our financial administrator at DonnaRae at centennialroad.com. Or you can phone us, 613-345-3424, extension 6002. Leave a message there and Donna Ray will get back to you. Whatever method that you use for tithes and forgiving, thank you so much for your support of the ministry here at Centennial Road. Have a blessed Easter. God bless you, everyone.